want people, and including yourself this morning, we want people to know and experience the life of Jesus, encounter his presence, and gosh, did we already, I mean, we, church, we already did church this morning with that worship. I mean, we could, I could just give an invitation and say, that's it. Um, and we would all go home feeling refreshed because of encountering God in worship. And there's different ways in which we encounter God. We encounter God through singing and worshiping. We encounter God through the word. We encounter God through fellowshipping with one another. All those encounters um, have a purpose. And so hopefully you're here at 1145 having already experienced what we hope is a continual encounter for you, an encounter with God and an encounter with God's people. On your bulletin, if you looked at your bulletin this morning, you see it every week, this timeless vision statement that we believe is at the core of who we are at Antioch Waltham. Um, It's to be revived in God, refreshed in community, and released in purpose. Revived in God, refreshed in community, released in purpose. Look Look to somebody next to you and say, I'm revived in God today. Uh, or if you can't say that, say, I want to be revived in God today. Whichever, whichever side of that equation you're in, be honest. You know what? By golly, I'm revived in God, or I need a little bit more reviving. If you need a little bit more reviving, this is not theologically correct, but you can get another cup of coffee at our coffee bar. That will at least get you ready. To, and you can even bring it in, bring it into the sanctuary. Uh, as you can see by the stains on our carpet, we believe in coffee. <laughs> so, revived in God, refreshed in community, released in purpose. Twenty years ago, um, around this time of the year, um, my young family, my, my wife, who was at that time 28 years old, and two little girls... Um, uh, an 18-month-old and a three-month-old moved up. So I guess it was actually in the winter when that actually happened, wasn't it? We moved up here about 20 years ago with a dream in our hearts, with a call from God to establish a church, and not just a church, but a church that would start other churches so that what we had experienced up to that point in our life, this, this dynamic encounter with Jesus, this overwhelming um, filling and baptism of the Holy Spirit, this zeal to, to take what we have experienced and share it with other people, that we would see that established, uh, that life-giving expression be established here in Boston. Uh, the, the phrase that God put in my heart back then was, I want you to get out of the spiritual jacuzzi, and I want you to build another jacuzzi in Boston, which makes a lot of sense because there's no reason for jacuzzis in Texas. That's where I came from. It's like, what's the purpose in sitting in a hot tub in 90 degree weather? It just doesn't work. But Boston, it makes sense. So God was calling us to build another spiritual jacuzzi where people would jump in the waters of God and be jacuzzed, whatever the verb is of jacuzzi, just jacuzzing it up, you know, living the life of God. And so that's what we did. We came up here with a zeal for that. Tabby, quit talking to me. <laughs> She's up here going, oh my gosh, what's the excuse? <laughs> we wanted to see that happen. And one of the phrases that God dropped in our hearts right at the beginning of that season that he birthed among our leadership team at that time was that we would be a diverse people. This was the timeless vision statement in that season, that we would be a diverse people of God. Um, a diverse people, full of faith in God, compassionately reaching the world around us. 
And when I look at this church, I, I think, God, you've done that. You have placed us in the, in the midst of a diverse people, economically, age-wise, ethnically, nations. Um, you've, you've, you've placed us right in the, in the middle of a, a diverse community and neighborhood, and, and, and the church reflects that, where people are zealous with faith to believe in God. And we're going to talk about that this morning. And out of that encounter with God, there would be birthed compassion. There would be birthed a compassion for other people who need help, need the help of Jesus, to need, need to know Jesus, but need help in their lives, literally need to, to be served and cared, about, cared for. And, I, and when I look around just at you and I look around at the first service, I think we've got a people that are living that out in a way that really challenges Laura and I. You know, it, we, at times we feel like they we're at the tip of, of, of that offering, and other times we look around and we go, Lord, we want to keep up with what's going on in this body. So many beautiful expressions of Jesus here. And it, it is reflective in Scripture. We see that it's not that we're unique. It's not that we're even unique in the city of Boston. The church is unique in the midst of the world because that's what the church looks like. And the scripture tells us about it. And uh, this, this, this season, as we have been praying into the season, we have been stirred by this, this, this little passage of scripture in Acts, Acts chapter 13. And you can, look, you can open your Bibles and, and beat me there. Um, I'm not going to quote, I'm not going to read it right now, just right now, but you can go there in your Bible and look at it. But where it describes this people of God, the people of Antioch, and it's where our name came from. The people of, of God who uh, first started to identify themselves as Christ followers or Christians who were living in this, this metropolitan city where the crossroads of trade and commerce and, and the nations were already happening in their midst. A, lot, a city a lot like Boston. And they were worshiping and proclaiming God. And they were living in such a way that... Uh, Something dynamic and something powerful happened in their midst. And yesterday, before I read this past scripture, yesterday we gathered here in this room as three churches. And for those of you who are new or visiting for the first time or or just new with us, we 20 years ago started a church in Brighton that my wife and I that planted a church on the North North Shore called the Harbor. I can't speak. Two services. I promise you I've not been drinking. It's it's the Holy Spirit. Um, that's another pastor scripture we'll go to in another day. Um, but uh, that planted a church on the North Shore called the Harbor. And then about eight years ago, we planted this church, the River. Um, and uh, where was I going with that? Um, but today we call ourselves Antioch. And we call ourselves a people of God of expression, that have an expression of Christ's love and life in three different locations here in the city of Boston. But we were gathered here. This is where it was. We were gathered here yesterday. And those three churches were here with their leaders and people who just wanted to come to catch the vision of God. And for four hours, we worshiped and we prayed. And we prayed and ministered to one another. And we called out to God. And we asked God to prophetically speak. And to uh, share words, both individually but also corporate words. And we lived out an expression that we see as a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly expression, a a regular expression of who we are and who we want to be even more as a church, that we see kind of described in Acts 13. So read with me. Among the prophets and teachers of the church of Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, 
Simeon, called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Menaean, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul, who would later change his name to Paul. One day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them out on their way. This kind of apostolic, worshipful community is who we are and who we want to be. This is the blueprint in the scripture. This is how the early church did it. This is how the early church formed and expanded from city to city and nation to nation. And yesterday, we said, God, and in this season, and before yesterday, people were praying and fasting in the week ahead for yesterday and for today. God, we want to afresh, not that it's something new, not that it's something that we have learned for the first time, but afresh, we are saying, God, we want to live revived. We want to live in revival. We want to live Um, revived, what does revived mean? Revived means that which is dead is brought back to life. That which has need of more life, being given more life. I'm not saying that we're a dead church. We have Jesus in us. We're an alive church, but God, we want even more revival. You say it the way that you need to say it. however, However more you need, give me more. And we're saying, God, we want you to revive us in a fresh way. We want to be that apostolic people, prophetically living out your word indeed with obedience. And so 150 so people were in this room yesterday calling out to God. And this morning, in the first service, and today in this, in, in, at 11 o'clock in this service, we're calling out for that same kind of outpouring of God's presence and his reviving. 20 years later, 20 years later, as we availed ourselves to respond to the, the, the call of God, I have three more children. We kept on having children. We have stopped. Five more children. Um, I mean, not five more children. Three more children. A lot, of, a lot more spiritual children. You're going to see. You're, if you come to the 11 o'clock service, you don't know what you're going to get from me. I've got to build up my preaching chops. I've got to get more sleep the night before. Um, we have lots more spiritual children. We have three Three vibrant churches, congregations in the area that all work together that were birthed out of that first church. And we have a church in Phoenix that's thriving that we sent the whole leadership team out around the same time we planted this church eight years ago to start a church in Phoenix that's, that's doing a wonderful thing there in that city. And we have multiple missionaries on teams or forming, having formed teams throughout the world. Why? Why? Because of what we sang about this morning. That there's power and there's life in the name and the life of Jesus. We want to proclaim him even more. uh, That he is alive and that he is here for us today. So today... If we were revived, we, we, we were sent out in revival, we, we, we birthed uh, uh, some life in churches, and we don't feel like that we're the only expression in the city. We're actually really excited. When I pray with pastors every week, I get together with a, diff, a, different, a group of pastors from different churches, and I look around and I see people who planted churches after me that came um, after I've been here, some that have been before me. 
And we call out every week, God, would you stir in a different way? We'll call out the themes of God, would you revive your church in the city? And would you send more laborers for the harvest? Would you bring more churches, more expressions? And I can say today that in the city of Boston, this area, there are more life-giving expressions of, of Christ Jesus in his church than ever before. It's so exciting to see what God is doing. And God wants to do that again. So how do we get from from that place of being revived in God in such a way that leaders are praying and fasting and church, church works are being established. How do we get there um, from the beginning? Or how do we get there? Where, where does it start? My confession to you is I believe it starts by being revived in Jesus at the beginning. That we've got to be revived in Jesus. We've got to find Jesus so that we can live that life that we see in Acts. And so I want us to look this morning at a person's life in Jesus, and his name is Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a man of God. He actually was a very respected and an honored person in his society. He was a teacher of the Bible. He was a teacher of the ways of God. He was, as we would anticipate from knowing, as we read his story, he was one who feared God. He feared God so much, he was such a seeker of God that when God came into his midst, it took him by surprise. And what I say that, when I say that, I'm saying that when Jesus came into his midst, in his midst, there was something that stirred within Nicodemus to say, who are you and why are you different than what I've experienced and I want to know more? Nicodemus was a God-fearing man, but God wanted to revive him. He wanted to revive this religious man, this God-fearing man. He wanted to bring new life to him. Nicodemus was not afraid to ask tough questions. He was a seeker of truth. He was somebody who would say, hey, I, wanna, I want you to tell it to me straight. My sense is, is that there are a lot of Nicodemuses in Boston. There's not, you know, there are some that are, that are not from the God-fearing perspective, but there are a lot of God-fearing, seeking, hungry people who want to know the answer, why have I been created? Why am I here on this earth? And if God, you exist, who are you really? That's who Nicodemus was. And Jesus met him. Let's look at his story in John 3. It says, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader, who was a Pharisee. And after dark, one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. And he said, Rabbi, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your, your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And I'm going to pause there for a second. We'll keep on reading a second. But I want to just stop and look at Nicodemus. Nicodemus is coming to Jesus, and he already has some information. He already has some information about Jesus. He already knows some things about Jesus when he comes to Jesus. And he already has a respect 
He already has an honor in his heart for who Jesus is. And he says that clearly by, by saying, you, you must be from God because of the miracles that you perform. Who are you? What are you about? And yet, we also see something else about Nicodemus. It's the first thing that we find out about Nicodemus. He knows all these things, and yet he comes at night. Why do people come to talk to people at night? Because I, I, I couldn't, I mean, if you gave the right answer, I, you, I don't know. Because I, I everybody started talking all at once. But somebody, I think, said the right answer, which is because we're afraid. We're not wanting people to see us, and we find that out about Nicodemus. He's coming in the cloak of night. Something tells me that probably he even had like a disguise on. You know, he's not only coming at night, he probably has a hood on. He might even have one of those silly little mustaches. You know, it's like he's trying to hide his identity. He has everything he needs in life according to the world's perspective. In that day and time, to be a Pharisee is to be at the top of the class. To be at the top of the heap, respected, honored. You're the kind of people that when you're walking down the street, people part the way for you. You are revered and honored. He had class. He had prestige. He had training. He had education. He probably had a a nice living. He had everything. There was no reason for Nicodemus to throw what he had away. And the very only thing that he could do to throw it away was to hang out with Jesus. We're going to find that out in a, in a, a few more chapters. Jesus was dangerous. Jesus was teaching things that were not conventional. Jesus was declaring things about himself that no man should declare about himself. Jesus was a problem. Anybody encountered Jesus as a problem in your life? If you're not shaking your head up and down, you're lying. He comes as a problem. He, he, it says in, 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 in the word that he comes and he brings division, not intentionally, but just there are, there's divisions that come in family. There's divisions that come in relationships. There's divisions that come because Jesus makes us choose. It's not that he's wanting to bring division. As a matter of fact, what God really wants is to reconcile the world to himself and bring peace and unity. But it's through him. And some people don't like that. It might even be you. You might not like that. Some of you might be in this room and you might be wrestling with the reality that Nicodemus was wrestling with. Of who are you, Jesus, and do you really matter? But some of us in the room might have already decided that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the Son of God, that he is the Savior of mankind, that he does forgive my sins, that he does set me free, that he does want to give me eternal life, that I have hope in him, but he's still a problem. Because I can't just embrace Jesus and all of that that he gives me without me being a division in the world. Because when I find Jesus, now I'm walking out as Jesus, and he's saying, it's either me or no, it's either my way or or, or your way, but there's no way in between. And all of a sudden, I become the lightning rod. Who likes to be the lightning rod of Jesus in this room? I don't see any hands. No takers. So Nicodemus has got a problem. And his name is Jesus. How many of you know that when you are lost... 
that's the right time to be asking questions. When you're living in darkness, when you're walking in darkness, when you don't have light, when you don't have a way, and maybe some, maybe, maybe some of us at times don't even know that we're lost. But when you realize that you are, and I think that's what was happening to Nicodemus in this story, he's realizing, oh no, I've given my whole life to this pursuit, and I'm set, all set, and now Jesus is ruining my life. He's offering an alternative option that seems to be making more sense than I want it to be making. But when we're lost, we have to ask questions. Anybody in the room old enough to remember a time without GPS? Just Anybody ever remember a time when the only thing you had when you were in a place that you didn't know what was going on was a map? Now, do they even sell maps anymore? Because we are in a desperate need for maps. Because, you know, I mean, it's a whole nother message about maps versus GPS. If you have GPS, you might have, you have somebody telling you where you're going, but you don't know where you are. It's another message. But all you have is maps. And, you know, when I moved to Boston, and, and you know, just I'm telling you, the creators of Boston, they were, they had a sense of humor, and they were a little bit edgy. It's, it's still Boston today. I don't know where the creators of the roads of Boston are. I know that they're dead and they're great, but they might be in heaven, and they snicker every time somebody gets in their car without GPS. How many of you have been on a road that changes names without you knowing it? I am... I, I swear that I was on Washington Street three blocks ago, and I have not turned, and it is not Washington anymore. It's like, what's going on? This is a trick. Praise the Lord for GPS, but before GPS... It was miserable because the maps didn't even have all the streets on them. It's like it's not even on this. And the, and the road signs don't even have both sides of the road signs. It's like, where's the cross one? I don't know where I'm at. You know what I'm talking about. Well, what happened in those days before I could ask Siri? So now ask Siri has totally solved all of that in GPS. But before that, if I wasn't going to stay lost, I had to humble myself and pull into a gas station. Or stop somebody on the side of the road and scare them to death and say, I promise, I promise, all I want to know is where I am and how to get out of here. I had to ask a question. Where am I and how do I get from here to where I want to go? And that's where we find Nicodemus. He's coming to the presence of Jesus and all of a sudden he's asking two serious questions. Where am I? My world just changed. This miracle worker, Jesus, is declaring something to me. It's turning my world upside down. And now I need to know, how do I get from where I am to where I want to go, which is to be with God? So read with me. Jesus answers that question. Verse 5, Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. Remember, he had just asked um, in our previous, the par- previous passage, how do you get born again? The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible? 
Nicodemus asked. He's hungry. He's inquisitive. Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher, Nicodemus, and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man, that's Jesus speaking about himself, has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have everlasting life or eternal life. He's speaking, he's prophesying about his, his, coming, his coming crucifixion, his coming death on the cross. In verse 16, the one that we all know, or most of us know, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life or eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. So Jesus gave him an answer. And the answer was, Nicodemus, you have to be born again. Well, how do I, how do, I do that? Well, this is how you do it. It's a really, really simple equation, yet it costs us our life. You have to put your trust and belief in me. He didn't say you've got to do a lot of religious works. He didn't say that you've got to pay penance. He didn't say that you had to go out to a hut and fast for 40 days. And he didn't say you have to wait for an angelic visitation. He didn't, he didn't describe all these religious things that maybe some would describe as a way to, to meet with God. He didn't say that you have to center yourself and empty yourself of nothing and enter into this place of blissful meditation. He didn't say any of that. He just said, believe in me. And how could he say that? Because Jesus, it says at the beginning of John, at the beginning of, of this, 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 this book that John wrote, it, John spoke of Jesus in this way. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. That Jesus, the word, was from the beginning. He has no end because he is God. And so, therefore, he could say, believe in me because I'm God. I'm the one who created you. And all of a sudden, I'm sure that as Nicodemus, the teacher of the law, was hearing him speak, his mind was exploding. Here is a man standing in front of me who's saying that to believe in him, I can have eternal life. That I can be saved. Saved from what? That I can be born again. That I can have my, my spirit come alive again for eternity. Not just for a period of time on earth, but forever. I am reborn through Jesus. We must believe and put our faith in him. I like at the end of that passage of scripture, verse 17, because we oftentimes stop at verse 16. But I think 17 gives us a picture of, a deeper picture of the heart of God. Where it says God's intent was not to come in and to judge the world. But what was his intent? What does it say there? To save the world through him. That the whole intent of God is not to come and remind you of your brokenness. In your sinfulness. In your separateness from him. That's kind of how some of us walk around. 
We, we walk in an awareness of the deficit in our life. But Jesus came not to be our judge, but to be our Savior. He came to pursue us. You realize that you're here by invitation this morning, right? You said, oh, nobody invited me. I found you on the web. You know, I walked here myself. Nobody gave me a call this morning. I've been sitting around since 1030 wondering if anybody loves me. Nobody like, oh, I'm just going to go to church. Nobody. Well, that might be true for some of you. And maybe some of you actually really did get invited by a person this morning. And we're glad that you're here. But whether you were literally invited by a person or not, the Spirit of God invited you here this morning. He knew that there would be awesome worship this morning. And he knew that his name would be lifted up. He knew that it would be declared that Jesus' name is powerful. And he knew that I was going to do the best job that I could do to preach this passage of Scripture so that you could hear a little bit more about Jesus. And he did all of that for you so that you would encounter him. I often try to think in my mind, what would it be like if Jesus walked into the room that I'm in? whether it's my living room or my bedroom or in this context where he walked into this sanctuary. And what would be our response if we encountered Jesus? I think I know because I've seen it in Scripture. We'd fall down. We would be overwhelmed by the glory and presence of God. But I think it's more than that because I think he's really cool and really loving and I, I, this is just kind of how I picture Jesus. I think he walks in, we all fall down and worship. He says, I'll make it up. And he hugs us. And he smiles at us. And he looks us in the eye. And he knows our heart. And he knows who we are. And he says, it's so good to see you, Tabby. It's so good to be in your presence. Jesse, I'm so glad that you're here this morning. He engages us because he knows us by name and he loves us. And he loves for us to be in his presence. And you've been invited. You've been invited by Jesus because he has an invitation for you to be revived. I never know who's in the room on a Sunday morning. I never know. Um, I, I assume in our church that because I know most of you that most of you have had an encounter with Jesus at some point in your life that you would you would define as the time that you met Jesus and He saved you that He you experienced this born again experience that Jesus talks about to Nicodemus. But I also assume that in any given Sunday there's somebody who walks into this sanctuary that's still seeking, that's still searching. Very rarely do I think that anybody walks in here and could care less. You know, maybe it's a funeral or, you know, a, a wedding or something where you, you walk in and you could care less about God and your heart's hard. But most of the time, I believe that every person who sits in a chair is here at least with some kind of curiosity about what this thing is all about and where God is in the midst of this church. And maybe even more, is God real and does he love me? And I want you to know that Jesus invited you here. And when I prepared this message this morning, I prepared this message primarily for you. That you would know that you can be born again. That those desires of your heart to know your purpose, that Jesus would begin to fulfill in your life. That those desires for peace and security, not only in this world, but for 
what we believe and what Scripture teaches for eternity would be yours if you would put your faith and your belief in God, that you would know that you're invited. Yesterday, at this, at this um, rally that we had, we, 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 there was a point where we started sharing testimonies and sharing what God was speaking. And, and a young lady walked up to the front of the room, and she, she was, you, you could tell that she was a, a little bit nervous, but she really wanted to say something. And she said, hey, I want to share my story. She said, 10 years ago, I was working at Starbucks. Anybody ever worked in Starbucks? Usually in a room, half the people have worked at Starbucks because they have good insurance benefits. She said, I was working at Starbucks, and I was working beside this, this other person, and um, the sense that you got from her testimony, she went straight to the punchline, but the sense was is that there was something about this woman. Her name was Dela. There was something about this woman that was different and I know Dela, so I know what was different. She's filled with love. She's filled with joy. She probably talked to this person about Jesus. It was probably very clear from the very beginning that she loved God and loved Jesus. And she said there was something different. I mean, the sense was that there was something different about Dela. But she said, one day while we were working, Dela looked at me and she said she did something that was very dangerous, that was very out of the ordinary, very crazy, very just like, ah, oh, I can't believe she did it. You know what it was? She said, would you like to come to church with me? And, and she said it was interesting. She said, Dayla was probably thinking, this girl is never going to want to go to church. Whatever it was about her life at that time, it was like it didn't, it, there weren't neon signs that said, I want to know God. She was just a normal Starbucks worker that was working alongside of Dayla, and Dayla was stirred to invite her to church. And she said, I'm sure that Dayla was thinking she's not going to respond. And yet she didn't know that there was something in me that was hungering for what was in her life. And she said, sure, I'd like to come. God invited her. I don't, know the re- I don't know the intermediate story because at that point she went from God invited me through Dayla to I found Jesus, and now 10 years later, I'm standing before you passionately loving God because Jesus invited me through Dela into his presence. That could be your story this morning. And that's where I'd like to, to close or end our service. So if I could have the worship team come on up as we move just through this last little journey of Nicodemus. In John 7... There's a story, a conversation going on with the Pharisees, and they're saying, basically they're saying, this Jesus, what Pharisee would believe in this Jesus? It makes no sense. And Nicodemus, at this point, now this is four chapters later, he goes, uh, well, you know, maybe, maybe we sh- should, and this is what it says in John 7:50. he said, is it legal to convict a man before he's given a hearing? Shouldn't we like listen to him? And they're like... What are you, one of those Galileans? Were you from Galilee? Why would you believe? We see something awakening in Nicodemus. And then I want to take you to the last time we see Nicodemus in John, and it's John chapter 19. This man who came to Jesus in the darkness, who was hidden and afraid, but eager and hungry for what Jesus had to offer, who somewhere over the course of the the story of Jesus' life gets bolder and more aggressive in his pursuit of God, and comes to a faith and a belief in Jesus. And how do I know that? Well, look at John chapter 19. When Jesus had died, and when Jesus had been taken off of the cross, and he was to be buried, 
It says in verse 38 of chapter 19, Afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. And when Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. And with him was one of those Jewish leaders, Nicodemus. The man who had come to Jesus at night. We can't, we can't discern whether it was Joseph or Nicodemus who brought the 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and oils. But in verse 40, following the Jewish, Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices and long sheets of linen cloth. Here is Nicodemus, the one who came by night seeking Jesus, who now, along with Joseph, is taking the body of Jesus and maybe the one who is making the sacrificial offering of all of these spices and alloys to bury Jesus and to give him a proper embalmment and proper burial, who is filled, I believe, in this moment with the love and worship of God, so much so that he would do this important act at the expense of being known. He's a believer in Jesus. I believe he's hanging out with Joseph. I, the way that I read it is he, Joseph is his new disciple. Because Joseph is now coming at night. He's a follower of Jesus, but he's still a little bit pure. I believe Nicodemus is like, dude, come on, let's do this thing. Let's bury Jesus. Because he's worthy of worship and honor. Is that the position of your heart this morning? For those of you, it might be one, it might be five, it might be ten people, I don't know in this room, who came in by invitation that are still seeking. I want to say this is the day that you get to be born again. Don't delay. Don't let the reputation that we saw in Nicodemus, don't let Nicodemus' life, if that's your life, dissuade you. Don't let what you have deter you from what is even better. Jesus told parables like this. He said, it's better to buy the whole field, to find the jewel or the treasure that's buried in the field. Sell everything you have to buy the field. Because in the field is the treasure. Is it worth selling your life to find something that's more, worth more than your life? Jesus. And for the rest of us in the room as we stand up to worship and respond, how is God wanting to revive you afresh this morning? I, I lead with this story because of this. In Psalm 51, David, who is a worshiper of God, who has just been in a place of, of sinfulness and rebellion towards God and been reminded of his sin by the prophet, he comes into the presence of God with ashes, ash cloth and tears and repentance and calling out to God. And as he's repenting, he says to God, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Remind me again and let me experience afresh the salvation that you have offered me, that I've lived out, and that I want to live again. There's no better way for us to be renewed in our zeal to live for God than to be reminded that we were once lost and now we're found. That we were once like Nicodemus and God has set us free. And so I want to stir us as a church to give thanks to God for our salvation and let it motivate us to pray and to believe God for salvations in our family and our friends and our neighborhood stand up with me let's pray Lord Jesus we ask that you would
would revive us this morning. We ask that when we come into your presence, Jesus, that we would be changed, that we would look into your eyes and that we would see hope and healing, that we would receive from you what you have for us today, that we wouldn't shy away from you, but that we would rush into your presence, that we would not be ashamed of you, but that we would pursue you as you've pursued us. And Lord, I especially pray if there's anybody in this room that this is the day that they are born again as as Nicodemus was born again. Lord, I pray, Father, that this would be the day that they take the steps of courage to come into your presence, to ask you the questions that you have answers for, and that you would set them free. Lord, would you do that this morning in Jesus' name?